It might seem rather strange, but one of the characteristics that you would often find in the seminary was that there was always this spirit, spirit of competition going on, no matter what we were really doing. Certainly, it would be there in the ways that you'd expect, that there were all sorts of athletic competitions. We played basketball, we played soccer, we played football, we played softball. All of these things you would see that competitive edge come, to, come forward in each and every guy's personality. But then there were other things, board games, those things that we would simply sit around and play for fun, that our competitive edge would come out there too. But it was kind of funny because oftentimes it would come out in the ways you wouldn't expect. Take exams, for example. Those became essential elements of competition because we wanted to finish first. It didn't matter how quickly or how long the test was, you just wanted to be the first or maybe even the second one to finish. What's more, you wanted to have the best score. And therefore, even that was turned into a competition. It was a spirit of comparison in a way. But if we think about it, comparison is all around us. It's not just relegated to a seminary, but in fact, it's something that we do day in and day out, even in the most simple and mundane things that we can do in daily life. Take, for example, your GPS, that estimated time of arrival. It's often so tempting to try and see if you can beat that time that we just want to one-up, we want to get the better, that we want to excel at what we're doing. But when it comes to living out our faith, is that what we're really called to do? Are we supposed to one-up one another? Are we supposed to fall to the spirit of comparison and competition? Or is there more to faith than meets the eye? The prophet Isaiah this morning, as he's speaking, we hear this reading, and it might sound a little bit familiar, because it often has that spirit of the Advent characteristic, that it's telling to seek the Lord while he may be found, turn to him while he is near that this is, in fact, a part of the Advent season, and it's very characteristic of it, that one should turn to the Lord because he is drawing close, that very Advent character. And yet there's also this spirit of Lent as well, that it's also telling that the Lord is compassionate and forgiving and full of mercy, that the scoundrel should forsake his ways, that the wicked his thoughts, and return to the Lord. But Isaiah, he's very aware of the Israelite nation that he's speaking to, and he knows that they're going to hear all this, and they're going to ask this one question in their heart. Why? Why do I need to forsake my thoughts and my ways? Why do I need to turn to the Lord? Why right here and right now? Well, Isaiah speaks to them, and he just reminds them of this one thing, that the Lord's ways are far above our ways, that the Lord's thoughts are far above ours. It's almost inconceivable what the Lord has going on, what he's got planned. And therefore, it's better for us to assume that it is for the best, because it is, and to go for that and to adhere to that, especially in this moment, because it is a moment of opportunity. So Isaiah is speaking to the Israelite nation. He's encouraging them onward. Now, seek the Lord right at this moment. Do whatever he's asking you to do, for he is drawing near. We continue on and we hear from St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians. So we've left the book of Romans behind, that same book that we've been following for the last few months, and yet we're using that same exact theme that we had yesterday, that we had last week, rather. That we're speaking about death and life being the Lord's. But in particular, we see that St. Paul is drawing this out in living in the flesh, that he realizes that he's still living for Christ no matter what. But there's a problem. 
Because he recognizes that death is far better because that is the departure from this life where one enters into eternal life. That he wants to go be with the Lord his God. He wants to enter into the realities and beauty of heaven. And it might have been something that was rather odd falling upon the ears of the Philippians because they might have a hard time imagining what heaven must be like or what the reward would be. And so, in fact, they might, have, they might struggle themselves, but St. Paul is trying to really illustrate for them just how much he desires heaven so that they might desire heaven as well. But nonetheless, he knows that even as much as he desires the kingdom of heaven at this time, he knows that his place is amongst the people, that he is sacrificing at this point in time so that others might benefit from his preaching, from his ministry, and from his word. Even to this day, we still benefit from what he did. But nonetheless, he seeks to live. And then he encourages all the Philippians, just the simple thing, to live a worthy way of life in adherence to the gospel. That was all he required of them. But he nonetheless is trying to get them to do that so that they can see just what is the eventual goal, that they should seek after heaven, but they should live in a worthy way now so as to attain that in the future. Then we finally arrive at the Gospel according to Matthew, and this is yet another parable about the kingdom of heaven. So we're told that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, There is a landowner who went out at dawn and hired laborers for his harvest. And he told them to go in to work for the usual daily wage. And then they continued on. That he goes out again at 9 o'clock and does the same thing and tells them, I will pay you what is just. Then he goes out at noon, at 3 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock, and he continues to hire laborers because he knows that the harvest is so plentiful. And then the end of the day arrives, and he starts to pay them all out, but he starts with the last ones first, and he pays them the usual daily wage. And then he goes in reverse order, so much so that the ones that arrived at dawn, they, they approach and they expect more and yet they're given the usual daily wage. And at this, they start to grumble against the landowner because they feel that they've been dealt an injustice. And yet the landowner reminds them, he's giving them exactly what they asked for. He's giving them that daily wage. And he's asking, is he, why are they so envious? Why are they so generous? Why are they filled with jealousy? Is it because of his own generosity? Or is he not allowed to do as he wishes with his own money? And then he reminds them with that simple line, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Again, emphasizing that point, that God's ways are really not human ways. But think about this parable for a moment. Because it's often one that's really difficult and hard to understand, because it seems like the landowner is unjust. It seems that he is doing the first ones dirty, because they are not receiving what is just. For all of us who have ever worked an hourly wage before, we know what it is to work for an hour and get paid for an hour. This seems rather odd. But let's delve into what the parable means. Because the landowner is God. The landowner, he is the one who owns the entire vineyard, who owns this world, who owns the church, and all that he calls to work in that vineyard, and he calls into communion with his church. So he is the landowner. We are the workers. Now, in many different ways, we've been called at different points in our life. Maybe we were called at the very first moments of our existence, that we were baptized as a baby and we are called cradle Catholics because of that. So we've worked all the day through, and we are bearing the day's burden and the heat. But then there are some that come in the noonday of life, that they're the ones that come halfway through, that they recognize the gospel message that's never been told to them before, and they come in and work in the vineyard as well. 
And then we recognize that last group of people, the ones that come in at five o'clock, the ones that come in on their deathbed, the ones that recognize Jesus Christ not before that point, but all of a sudden at the very last moments, they recognize that Jesus Christ is the Lord and they accept the gospel. They go out and work, for the vin- work in the vineyard, even if for just a few brief fleeting moments, that they also are a part of the church. And then when they receive the reward, we're told about that wage, that daily wage that is just. What is that daily wage? Brothers and sisters, that daily wage is nothing other than entrance into heaven. And whenever those first ones, they start to grumble, they start to argue, they recognize and they don't quite see what the landowner is doing, that they understand that they are supposed to get paid, and they agreed for the usual daily wage, but all of a sudden their hearts are filled with envy and with jealousy. What happened? Why are they filled with this envy and jealousy? Why are their hearts hardened at this point? There's three different things that the gospel and the reading should illustrate for us this weekend. The first is one that is a point that seems like it's rather obvious, but it's one that we can often forget. The Lord is generous. Now, when we say generous, we often think of something rather ethereal or abstract, but the Lord is very generous to the point that he is merciful, that the Lord wants to give to each and every one of us the benefits and the beauty of eternal life. And because of that, he wants to leap over whatever obstacles are in his way to make it possible for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so whenever we say the Lord is generous, it's a very practical thing because we have to understand the Lord wants to bestow eternal life upon each and every one of us. But we also have to think that the Lord wants the person that we think deserves eternal life the least. He wants them in the kingdom of heaven as well. The Lord is just that generous. He's just that merciful. He's just that forgiving. And that's to a point because it's not just for us to kind of hear and think that's for somebody else. That's for us. That we need to recognize the Lord is generous. But then the second thing is we need to consider this aspect of time. Because when Isaiah is speaking to the Israelite nation, he's reminding them, seek the Lord while he is near that he may be found. My brothers and sisters, that's a shrill reminder and an important warning for us because this is the moment. Right now is the moment when we can find the Lord. It seems like a rather odd idea because we think that we're not very close to the Lord at this point in time, but he's very much in our midst, that we need to seek him at this point in time because he is near to us. He is where we can seek after him, and that is what this life is all about, seeking the Lord and drawing ever closer to him in communion. And so whenever we see that, we have to recognize this time is given to us, and it's a very sacred time for us to approach him. But we can't just wait for the clock to run out. We can't just wait until we think we have an opportune time or when we get to it. At that point, we do not know when the very end will come. We do not know when that point of reckoning is. And therefore, it falls to us and it behooves us to be very aware, to be alert, and to take advantage of this time that's given to us. Each and every moment of our life should be spent from this time forward seeking after the Lord and doing His will. And the thing is, we have to realize that that will only benefit us, that it's only going to give us a future full of hope, full of fulfillment, and full of joy. That if we spend our life well now, we know that in the future it will pay off in a big way. But then we have to arrive at this last point. The game of comparison in the spiritual life is dangerous. It's very deadly. 
because it can often lead us to places that we do not want to go, and it can even hamper our own spiritual life. Now, certainly sometimes comparison could be good, especially if we look at the lives of the saints and we aspire to be like them. But it's a problem whenever we start to hold grudges, or we start to hold out against the landowner because of what's happened. Because think about it, there's a couple of different ways that we can start to look at this, and we can really start to take it off to the side. The first way is that we can look at this, and we can behold that, and we can see the landowner and the way that he is generous, and we can start to think that others have been dealt a better hand in life than we have. And so we start to think that all of a sudden, whenever we look around, that the others have been dealt a better way of life. And so we think, just for a moment, that we are on the down and out, that we were dealt poorly, we were done dirty, because the Lord has given others a better way, a better hand. They called them at the last moments of their life. Meanwhile, here I am suffering in my life, here I am slaving away, trying to do the Lord's will. But the problem with that view is, my brothers and sisters, not a one of us knows what's on the mind of God. Not a one of us can tell exactly what the Lord has planned and what the beauty of that design is. But we have to trust in the Lord that that will lead to our fulfillment and to our full beatitude in time if we are faithful now and if we trust in the Lord. The game of comparison could take us out because we could simply say, well, that's not fair. The Lord's dealing with them this way. Why is he dealing with me this way? Or we can often look at the circumstances in life and say, I've been the Lord's faithful servant for so long. Why am I dealing with all these negative realities? Why is the Lord treating me in this way? Why am I not getting my reward? And indeed, we could start to become very angry, very bitter, and very resentful. But the thing is, that only detriments and only falls to the detriment of us. That in fact, the Lord wants us to see just how generous he is. He doesn't want us to be so depraved that all of a sudden we start to look at those that turn to the Lord in the last moments of their life and we become, and we become angry and envious because of that. Rather, we should be overjoyed. Think about the saints in heaven. Whenever they see one of us turn away from sin and do good, do you think that they are greedy and envious and jealous and angry because of that moment? Far from it. They rejoice because they see the way that we've turned to the Lord. And they are grateful that we are entering into communion with our God because they want to share that experience. They're not selfish with themselves. But the other way that this can fall to the detriment of us if we fall to the game of comparison and if we're competitive with one another is that we all of a sudden start to think that we're better than everyone else. We start to think we've got it figured out. That we're living the life to the best of our ability. That we look around and we look at the world at large and we see the depravity and we think, well, at least I'm doing better than them and that's okay. And then we start to let ourselves rest easy. But the problem is that neglects God's plan. Because maybe God's plan is for you to excel further. Maybe God's plan is for you to enter more deeply into your faith. Maybe God's plan is for you to help others with their conversion because they see how passionate, how convicted, how holy you are because you follow the Lord's plan. You didn't settle for just good enough, and I didn't settle for just good enough. We follow the Lord's plan to the very end. And that's the reality, because so many times, my brothers and sisters, in this day and age and in this time, we can fall to that game of comparison in a negative way, and we can start to let it control our lives. Whether we feel like we're just better than everyone else, or we've kind of got it figured out we're above average, or even if we start to be resentful of the Lord because of different things going on in our life, or the fact that we feel like we have a harder way of life, 
if we truly trust in the Lord and His providence and His knowledge and His wisdom and the depths of His care for each and every one of us, and if we truly expect and see the generosity the Lord wants to bestow, not just upon us, but upon our brothers and sisters as well, we're not going to be angry. We're not going to be resentful. We're not going to point fingers at the Lord and say, how dare you pay them the same as me? Because if we truly understand what the kingdom of heaven is, it's beyond what I can, ima- what I can see what mind can imagine, what ear can hear of, that in fact the kingdom of heaven will make everything in this life appear as if it was nothing. Every suffering, every affliction, every trial, every minor inconvenience and annoyance. We'll forget about it completely because of the joys of heaven and because of the joy of being united with the Lord our God. And that really is what the encouragement and what all of this goes to say for each and every one of us. It reminds us God is generous, that he wants to bestow the kingdom of heaven upon each and every one of us, and he calls us forward. And even those around us we might think do not deserve the kingdom of heaven, he's still calling them forward as well. But then we have to recognize, now is the acceptable time. We should draw near to the Lord while He is near. That we should take advantage of every moment to grow in holiness and fidelity towards the Lord our God. But then we should also be aware and not fall to the game of comparison against one another. Because the reality is, each and every one of our spiritual lives are different and unique. The Lord calls us to Him, but He calls us through many different ways. And it's not up to us to look around and say, why is my life any different? The Lord has a plan for you. He has a plan for your fulfillment, for your joy, and for your satisfaction. It's just that we have to trust right here and right now to see that the laborers, that the laborers are going to get their reward, that the landowner is going to give us that daily wage, which is the kingdom of heaven. And maybe that's where the homework is right now. Because oftentimes we can think of ourselves as already being in the vineyard. We can think that we've got it figured out. But in many ways, and I dare say each and every one of us have an area in our life that the Lord is calling us to go into the vineyard. What that means is that he has an area where we are being converted, where he's calling us to hand something over. Maybe it's a grudge, maybe it's anger, maybe it's jealousy, one of the things we've already talked about. Or maybe it's just sin or weakness. Or maybe it's just a different area where the Lord is calling us to go deeper, to invest more in our faith. And he's calling us to go out into the vineyard. And that's the reality and the beauty of the spiritual life. That each and every step along the way, the Lord is calling us to go deeper and deeper and more intimately into communion with him. But it can't be a game of comparison. Comparison may be all that common, and competition may be in the seminary, it may be around us, it may be in our daily lives. But it should never challenge us, and it should never be to the detriment or the danger of our faith. Rather, let's see the landowner who is calling each and every one of us to receive that daily wage, to receive the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. And let's enter into that labor, because the laborer deserves his pay, and the pay is the kingdom of heaven. May each and every one of us faithfully receive that daily wage. May we seek after right here and right now and at every moment of our life after the kingdom of heaven.